I invite you to take a Bible and to open it to the Gospel of John, where we'll be reading chapter 21, the last chapter of the Gospel of John. And we're doing this as a church family going through each letter of the New Testament and looking at the first and last chapter of each one, which the first four letters being Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we've heard about the birth and the resurrection of Jesus now a couple of times. But here in John's gospel, he goes a a little bit further. We're not starting in chapter 21 with the resurrection that's already been described in chapter 20. And so this is a little bit more of an epilogue in his uh, gospel of extended time after the resurrection with his disciples. So this is John 21. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. And they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. And just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, and yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. And so they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. And when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you just caught. And so Simon Peter went abroad and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything you know. You know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And truly I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. And when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And this he said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, 
Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. And so the saying spread abroad among the brothers that the disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now there also were many other things that Jesus did, and were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. And that concludes our reading for this morning. So it tells us that it's the third time that Jesus is revealing himself to his disciples in his unique way. Most of the other gospels end on the resurrection and the hope that it gives. Uh, But what I find helpful here in John's gospel as he includes a little bit more information about encounters that they had afterwards is that, uh, I don't know about you, but I know for me it can often um, seem like if we simply get to the point of accepting Jesus or believing in him, then all of a sudden we'll have everything else figured out. And so when you have accepted Jesus and believed in him, and you can check the box on all the different points of a normal statement of faith at a Christian church, but you continue to live life, you still find yourself asking additional questions. <laughs> and what does believing in the truth of who Jesus is mean for this situation that I'm now facing? How does it apply to this struggle that I'm going through? Or how do I interpret uh, these events that are going on in the world as someone who is a follower of Christ? And for me, it's an encouragement to know we're not the only ones who wrestle with those things and who need wisdom, not just on what it means to become a Christian, but what it looks like to live as Christians in this world, who have the things that we believe in, but also realize that we will continue for each and every one of us to confront new realities that we'll have to learn how to apply the faith that we have to those situations. In this uh, chapter, a very sort of natural story begins where the disciples are just hungry and they need to eat again. And so Peter decides to go fishing, which you can read some commentaries who will be a little bit more harsh on Peter and say he's not just hungry and going to eat, he's actually going back to his way of life as a fisherman like he was before, before Jesus said, come and follow me. But I think that's an overly harsh interpretation. Uh, I think he just needs to eat, just like you and I do. Uh, We all need to eat. And as much as God has provided us at any one point in time, it's not very long before we'll find ourselves needy again. So you might have feasted last night for dinner uh, and gotten to the point where you couldn't think you could handle any more. You had to say no. Well, it won't take very long, even if you skip breakfast because you were still full, before you start to get hungry again. Because that's how all of us are designed, to only be able to receive so much at one time, and then we need a little bit more again, and then we need a little bit more again, and a little bit more again. So that no one meal, no matter how great it is, 
how good it tastes or how full it makes you feel is going to provide for you or me everything we need for the future. But we need ongoing help and ongoing provision. And the disciples uh, say, I'm going fishing. They need to go eat. They go do it together. It's what they know how to do. They're not uh, being lazy by any means. They're willing to work at night to provide for themselves. This past week uh, in our home, uh, our oldest son, Levi, he's nine, on Monday night just all of a sudden said, I want to start paying for things in this house. It's like, really? He's like, yeah, I want to start earning money and I want to start paying for things. And he's got a jar of basically fake money, like monopoly money. And so he's like, you know, just from the jar, but just I want to like earn money if I do chores and this or that, and then I want to pay. And I said, okay, well, you know, grab a piece of paper and write down everything you can do to make money and then everything you're going to spend it on. And he was including things to spend money on that I was even surprised by. He's like, like food, like I want to pay for meals for breakfast, lunch, dinner, and video game time, and Lego time, or whatever. It's like, wow, okay. And so what's the list of, you know, how you're going to earn your money? And he makes the whole list. It was pretty impressive. And, uh, but then Monday night, we're going to bed, and he's excited. And he goes, tomorrow, we start the new, like the new plan where I'm going to start making money. And he goes, oh, no. I'm like, what? I'm not going to have any money for breakfast. <laughs> I was like, true. Listen, you're going to be able to eat breakfast tomorrow. Like, this is not my idea to punish you for something. This is your idea, and you will be able to eat breakfast. You don't have to wake up extra early and start to earn it. But it was this funny realization that we don't have uh, what we need, uh, even when we can think in our best efforts of trying to earn our way uh, to receive things. The disciples have needs. And I don't know about you, but however much faith you've had and whatever experiences God has brought you through, it can still creep in where you wonder, like I do, am I going to have enough for tomorrow? Am I going to have enough for next week? Am I going to have enough for five years from now? And we can say, listen, I believe that Jesus is who he said he is. I believe he rose from the dead. But I, I also can't get out of my head that I'm wondering where food's going to come from. I'm trying to do the math on like how much more gas prices can go up before I have to start adjusting my behavior. Or how much food costs can go up before I start uh, having to switch how I do things. Or... If you've experienced job loss recently, how quickly you then can have anxiety and wondering when's the next one going to open up. And all of those are regular challenges that we face no matter what we believe about Jesus. We all need provision for our daily needs. And he taught us to pray for our daily bread, knowing that we would need those things. And so here he gives to his disciples after the resurrection not just another proof that he really is alive, but another demonstration that he's going to provide for them. And so in this chapter is the revealing of God's abundant provision. It's almost a comical story that they're out at night, they catch nothing. He doesn't tell them who he is. He just asks again. In so many of these post-resurrection stories, you just sense that Jesus' sense of humor to just ask, hey, how's it going? 
you know, have you caught anything? Like, he knows the answer to the question that he's asking. And so for them to say, no, you know, we haven't caught anything. And him knowing what he's about to tell them to do, to cast the net on the other side of the boat, to soon experience being overwhelmed by the catch. And then it, it, the, the comedy continues as Peter, and then realizing who it is and all of his friends are overwhelmed by trying to drag in the catch, takes off the boat and goes to talk to Jesus. And so you just have to imagine the scene behind him as he's running off to meet Jesus and uh, their own sort of frustration with him to say, hey, we need your help in this. But it's God giving them a little miracle to make clear to them that he will abundantly provide for them. And he knows he's going to provide it such that he already has the fire going for the catch that they're about to bring in. He's ready for breakfast when they thought uh, they didn't have one yet. And he has this time together with them to make clear to them that as their Lord, he is going to meet their ongoing needs. And we not only see that physically in this chapter, we see that spiritually in this chapter. Because not only does he demonstrate that they can have this unexpected breakfast and the net can somehow hold when it was such a haul that it very well could have happened that the net would have actually broken and that they would have lost some of the catch. That's how abundant uh, of a catch it was. But then as it continues, he was making clear to Peter that not only does he have everything he's going to need physically, but he also has spiritual provision to help restore Peter from his previous failures. And as the chapter continues, and he asks Peter after they enjoy this breakfast, do you love me more than these which is most likely sort of imagining, do you love me more than these other disciples do? Because Peter was the one who had said, if all of these betray you, I promise I will never betray you. And so the question, I think, is a reminder to Peter of something that he had said. And he responds, yes, Lord, I love you. And they have this back and forth. Do you really love me? And Jesus gets him to say he loves him as many times as he had denied him. And all the while, Peter's not, or Jesus is not trying to bring up uh, sort of Peter's worst moments. Those moments have already happened, but what he is trying to make clear is that even those worst moments do not now disqualify Peter from being able to be restored in the kingdom and to have provision now for his ongoing work where he thought he might have been unemployed and disqualified in the kingdom, Jesus is making clear that no, no, no. He actually still has a job and there's plenty of work to do and God is excited to do that work in and through him. And so Peter's going to have now for the rest of his life this opportunity to show to other people his faith that God has abundant provision for his physical and spiritual needs and to tell that to the other people as well so that they would come to know that, that they would come to trust in that and experience that for themselves. But we also see at the very same time, whenever these sort of miracle stories happen and we who believe in them and believe that they're true and we're inspired by them, it raises another set of questions for us 
which is we then wonder why this doesn't happen all the time and why in some situations but not in others. And just as much as we get a glimpse of God's abundant provision, we also get a glimpse and a reminder of God's mysterious will. Because the very Peter that he's making these points to in bringing in a dramatic catch of fish and being told that he will have an ongoing job in the kingdom to work is at the very same time the Peter that he says, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. You say, wait a minute. God, you just showed me that when there's nothing that we can do, when we've exhausted our own resources, you can miraculously provide food that we never thought we could receive. And when you just showed me that you could restore sinners through repentance and forgiveness back into the kingdom to keep on working, you're also reminding me that I'm going to suffer. But I don't want to suffer. You actually know how to prevent suffering. Yes, and so that's why we say there's a mysteriousness to this will. When we see that God can intervene and dramatically change things, it causes us to wonder why at times he does not. But this is likely written at the time when Peter himself has already gone this way. That John is writing this after Peter has already entered into his eternal reward. And part of what is then being clarified here, not for Peter's sake, but John's recording it for our sake and the sake of the church, is to say now, don't look at the fact that Peter suffered for his faith and ultimately died as a martyr for his faith and then think, well, maybe that was, you know, just the punishment for what Peter had done previously. You know, he was, after all, the one who denied Jesus and he did it pretty dramatically. And so because he suffered and because he died, that must be a punishment that God imposed upon him. No, that's, that's the wrong conclusion. God has forgiven him for everything that he's done. God has the power to miraculously heal, but he has also, in his will, made it so that each and every one of us will, even though we believe in him and trust in him, will go through and experience uh, the fullness of what life on this earth includes. And so all of us will still experience some form of suffering, and all of us will eventually face the day of our death. And he wants to give us the resources to be able to face that well, to know ahead of time that's coming, to get ahead of the enemy who's going to want in our minds when we are suffering and going through trials, and the enemy wants to tell us, well, that's because you did this or because you're not good enough at this or whatever it might be that ahead of time we would be reminded, no, that's not how God works. We don't believe in karma. We believe in grace. We don't believe what goes around comes around. We believe that all of us live in this broken world and we'll all face the challenges 
of this world. And sometimes God will dramatically intervene and spare us from the, the pain of this world. And other times he will allow those things to happen. And we can't step back and say, well, I know why he spared this person and I know why this person wasn't spared. But it's not because this person was great and because this person was terrible. If anything, so many times the, the, the mystery to it will be that we see hardship and suffering come upon people who we love so much and who we know are such bright lights and effective witnesses for the kingdom. That we ourselves would say, if only we could have had them longer, if only they could have had more opportunities uh, to be the good and living example that they were. And so why, why do some people who reject God completely seem to not go through those trials and other people who are following him sincerely go through them? And I don't know... Uh, that, that's where it becomes a mystery. But I caught an interview uh, this past week. Um, Nick Vujicic has started a, a show where he interviews other people for an extended period of time. Uh, if you haven't caught them online, but this past week he was interviewing Johnny Erickson Tata, uh, who is Johnny Erickson Tata when Nick first came to the States that sort of shared office space with them in California and gave them a board of directors to help get Life Without Limbs going uh, in the United States. Uh, and Nick was sharing with Johnny that it was actually when Nick was born that somebody gave to his mom uh, a biography of Johnny Erickson Tata or a book that she had written about the trials that she had faced. And if you followed her story at all, she'll always say there were 10 words uh, that gave her a perspective after for her a diving accident made her a quadriplegic. And that those 10 words were that God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. That God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. And in hearing that, you, you say that that's, there's a mystery to that. It, I can believe that that's true, but it still strikes me as a, that means there's a mixture of both grief in that and hope in that. There's something of sorrow and there's something of celebration in that. Now, for Peter to have this message come home to him, he's, he's being told this about his future suffering by the very Savior who suffered for him. And so Jesus is the best example of this, right? He lived with the greatest integrity and the most perfect love towards other people. So why did he suffer? It's not because of mistakes he made. It's not because of something wrong that he should have done differently. He was the one righteous one. And yet God allowed what he hates to accomplish what he loves. He allowed his son to be punished so that the world who he loved could have the hope of eternal life. Uh, if you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11, you'll see where we get this description of different people in their lives of faith who have very different experiences of how that faith works out in times of trial and adversity. Hebrews chapter 11, we'll read from verse 32 to 38. 
in this whole chapter, <clears throat> the writer has been reminding people of ways that God has shown up in miraculous ways throughout history. This is what he says in a quick summary, uh, because he's running out of time. Hebrews eleven thirty two. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak, Samson, Jephthah of David, and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, <clears throat> were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. And then now it shifts. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. <clears throat> Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in the skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in de dens and caves of the earth. <clears throat> and that's where we'll stop. Those are very different experiences <laughs> of great triumph and overcoming and of great suffering and persecution. And in your humanity like mine, we would say, I would love to be in the first part of those verses. <laughs> God, if you have a plan and a will for my life, if, if somehow I could be a part of those conquering and victorious experiences, that's what I would love. And not as much to desire to be a part of the affliction and the suffering. And there's nothing wrong with desiring that, and there's nothing wrong with praying that. But when you've lived long enough to see how life happens to different people, you realize there is a mystery to what happens and to whom and why. And our prayer ultimately should be, God, help me to be faithful to you in the times that are good and when there's abundance. And also help me to be faithful to you in the times when there's need and there's pain. Help me to handle riches well and help me to handle poverty well. Help me to handle health well and also help me to handle sickness well. Because though we might not have it in actually either of those extremes, all of us will go through those stages of life where it will be said of all of us, there will be a day that we used to take care of ourselves, but we're not doing that as well as we used to. And we need more and more help from other people to do ordinary and daily things. And though none of us necessarily long for that, we should, if we're aware that that is a reality, pray and say, God, would you help me to handle every season of life well? the good and the bad, and to trust that in your mysterious will, you will abundantly provide for all of my needs, but also at times you'll provide abundantly through the love and care of other people in meeting those needs. But you're never going to let me go. And if in your mystery there comes a time when you pass, when you suffer, when you lose something, to trust again that God can do more with that 
than what we can imagine from our perspective. Cindy already uh, alluded to the video that Scott shared yesterday, but uh, I thought it was an amazing illustration of this truth. And so we're going to watch this brief video now uh, from our friends in Ukraine. spoken these things to you that you may have peace. In this world you'll have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome this world. So he's talking about a peace that doesn't depend on the circumstances of this world and it actually overcomes the evil that we see around us in this world. And um, you know, we are obviously looking at the news, we see what you're seeing. Kiev is being the capital is being encircled. Kharkov and Mariupol are under siege and people are suffering in this nation and our hearts are grieving for what people are experiencing. But I want to say that in spite of all those things, we are still seeing God's faithfulness. We're still seeing God's blessing. Um, yesterday, my lovely and gracious wife, Oksana, um, she is always looking for ways to um, just reach out to people and, and to be a blessing and to bring comfort. And she called me and said, um, you need to quickly leave right now. I was able to find another shipment of of food products. And so we have enough for 200 families in this van right now. Yes, and we're we are rejoicing. getting ready to take it to the village, uh, the center of the village. Here's our kids here. There's, there's Delina and Damara and Daniel. And we've got hundreds of kilograms of grain here and cornmeal, uh, cheese. Uh, there's milk products here, uh, 200 liters of milk, 200 sour creams, and all, a whole van full of, of food products here. And we are just so grateful, aren't we, Oksana, that God, in the midst of all this suffering, is still providing ways to show people the love of Jesus Christ. And um, we're going to go and pray with the mayor uh, of our village. We're going to bring this to the center there, and then they are bringing the pensioners and elderly from our uh, village uh, to the center there where they will be able to get these much-needed food supplies. Um, this is gold right now here when food supplies are not able to get through very easily uh, to our area because we're cut off and surrounded by the Russians. So uh, this is really a blessing, and we thank you for praying. Thank you for standing by us and by Ukraine and believing God with us for a miracle that only he can do. amazing example of unexpected abundant provision but you can feel the tension as well in those circumstances he said it's gold like he's driving a Brinks truck right there which means they're at risk too <laughs> because to receive that abundance surrounded by people that don't want that to be had and to be given by people puts us again when at the very time that we're seeking to do good that we have forces that are against us. 
and that we need to remind each other of that to encourage one another to then when our temptation is well then stop doing good because <laughs> it's not worth it if if somehow you can do good and seek to help other people and still suffer what would cause other people to say well then i'm just not going to do it we need one another to say no 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 don't do that <laughs> don't turn to the darkness um don't you now become an agent of suffering and pain continue to walk in the light continue to trust that for however long your journey is or mine it's better to be with god and serving him and trust that the very one who rose from the dead whatever he allows to happen in our lives as we serve him he promises he has enough for every one of us in this life and then especially as we sing together in the life to come let's pray heavenly father we thank you for your word and the reminder that your disciples needed in the earliest days of your resurrection that we still need that we need to know that you can provide for all of our needs you know that the thoughts that can weigh on our minds and in our hearts as we worry about where things will come from and how long they'll last when we struggle in our limitations in our weaknesses would you give us experiences of your provision that remind us that you you know exactly where the fish is you know exactly how to keep uh, the net strong so that it holds you know what words we need to be reminded of that tell us we really are forgiven and that we really are restored and that we would trust you in every season of life, in every circumstance, that we would just seek to honor you and bless you, uh, whatever your will is for each and every one of us. We know that your purposes are good. And so would you glorify yourself through us? In your name we pray, amen. Let's stand as we sing our closing song.